from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus again in reply spoke to the chief priests and elders of the people in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He dispatched his servants to summon the invited guests to the feast, but they refused to come. A second time he sent other servants, saying, Tell those invited, Behold, I have prepared my banquet, my calves and fatted cattle are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the feast. Some ignored the invitation and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest laid hold of his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged and sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy to come. Go out, therefore, into the main roads and invite to the feast whomever you find. The servants went out into the streets and gathered all they found, bad and good alike, and the hall was filled with guests. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So nice to have helpers. Gracias. It is easy for us to imagine heaven. We have lots and lots of opportunities to have that vision of heaven reinforced in our lives. And we know what heaven looks like, or at least we presume we do. You know, it's going to be way, way up in the sky, blue skies, of course, forever. And then there's going to be beautiful, beautiful, beautiful white fluffy clouds with not a hint of darkness. And, and up front there's going to be that wonderful gate covered in pearls, hence the pearly gate. And, and then there'll be St. Peter at his podium with his big ledger book letting people in or refusing them entrance depending on 
how the calculations go in that book, how much good versus how much bad. Once you get in, of course, beyond, beyond the pearly gates, there will be angels galore. They'll be white and fluffy with beautiful wings, a little hard to see against the clouds, but there you are. You'll know they're there because they're singing and they're playing harps and they're trumpeting and, and it's going to be beautiful. And then there'll be other people there that we've known from our past life and maybe a lot of people we don't know. And way, way, way at the back of the clouds, there'll be a great throne made of white Carrera marble or something equivalent covered in jewels. And there shall sit the Lord God, the creator of all, the Father, with a great white beard and long white hair and a beautiful white robe. And with him will be his son Jesus on one side and the Holy Spirit on the other and Mary somewhere close by too. That's what heaven will look like. Unfortunately, a few years ago, catechism class at Sacred Heart Church in Othello, Washington, one little eighth grader, eighth year old, held up his hand for his teacher who was describing a scene much like this. And he says, I don't want to go to heaven. Well, why? Don't you want to go to heaven, said the teacher. And little Manuel said, I don't want to go to heaven because it's boring. <laughs> There's nothing to do there. When I die, I want to be a tiger. <laughs> well, perhaps the image of heaven that Isaiah, the prophet, gives us in this first reading this morning would be more attractive to little Manuel. Maybe it would have a little more fun in it for him. What Isaiah describes, sort of the old Jewish understanding of heaven, is very different from our cloud, angels, thrones, and pearly gates. He describes a mountaintop, a mountaintop that is high, close to the sky, but is still firmly rooted to the earth and the world that we belong to. And that in itself makes a lot of difference. That cloudy vision of heaven that's so common in our imaginations is untethered to the world, to the earth that we know. It's up there kind of floating around in some other dimension. But Isaiah's mountaintop has got roots in this earth. It's part of the earth. It's part of the world that we live in. And that's really important. The second thing that Isaiah describes is a feast, a banquet, a massive table filled with, as he repeats over and over again, juicy and luscious fruits and meats and vegetables and, and desserts galore, at least as far as we can imagine, and gathered around that massive table on that high mountain is everybody. Everybody's welcome. Everybody comes. And as they enjoy this feast and drink the beautiful wine and eat the beautiful meats and, and are filled to the gills with 
with not just food, but with life and love like any great feast. They have a rollicking good time up there on that mountaintop. And while they're eating, in the eating, in the sharing, in the parting of the bread, in the sharing of the cup together, something wonderful happens. The veil that covers the nations in evil and war is lifted because of their communion with one another on that mountaintop. The veil of death is likewise lifted. There will be no more death in that banquet of life. The healing hand of the Lord rests upon all. There's no more suffering. Every tear shall be wiped from every eye. <laughs> Isn't that great? And finally, maybe most of all, Isaiah ends his vision of heaven even on earth with the simple words, God will be with us. Well, hopefully, that vision with all the beautiful fruit and vegetables and meats and wines and delicious things to eat and drink and all the wonderful company and all the people happy and healed and no more war and no more pain and no more suffering and every tear wiped from our eyes, maybe that vision would be a little more exciting for little Manuel, eight years old. Jesus certainly liked that vision. It meant a lot to him because he uses it in, in various places and parables, especially today. When he tells the parable of the wedding feast, this is kind of what he has in mind. In the back of his head, he is imagining the feast that that king invites everybody to, much like Isaiah's feast. It's a feast of life. It's a feast of love. It's a feast of joy overflowing because it's a wedding feast. And, and when people don't respond to his invitation, the first invited ones, well, he's hurt. It's not easy for him. His response, because he's a king, is maybe less than noble. But anyway, eventually, he says, the invited didn't come, so let's extend the invitation to everyone along the roads and the highways and the byways, which is to say, sinner or not, come on in. This feast is for you. This feast of life is for you. This feast of joy is for you. This feast of healing is for you. This feast filled with God's presence is for you. And I don't care where you come from along the roads. I don't care about your past. I don't care if you're poor or a leper or a sinner. Come on in to the feast of life. Jesus is speaking this parable once again to the chief priests and the elders of the people. And as much as we know already that their response to Jesus and his invitations was less than noble, we also know that when he speaks about their choice not to come into the feast. 
He is also issuing them an invitation over and over again. I know your hearts are hard, but change them. I I know you're not seeing this, but open your eyes. I know you're not hearing me, but open your ears. One more time I ask you, come on in to the feast. And why? Because for Jesus, he himself is the feast. He's the banquet on the mountaintop. That's why when he gathers the crowds on the mountaintops of Galilee, he gives them overflowing amounts of bread. (coughs) That's why when he heals someone, it's done with no charges attached, no fees needed. That's why when he forgives someone, it is a moment of encounter with God because only God can forgive. That's the wedding feast. That's the great banquet on the mountain that Isaiah describes and that Jesus loves even more that Jesus is. Jesus is the feast. The feast of heaven and earth. And as he invited the poor and the lame and the sick and the sinner of his time, even the chief priests and even the elders of the people, so he invites us into this great feast on the mountaintop, which is his very life and presence in our midst. In in just a few moments, participating in the feast of life, the feast where every tear is wiped away, the feast where we are healed, the feast where we find peace, the feast where the veil over the nations is lifted, the feast where death is no more. We will break that same bread and bless that same cup. And Jesus yet again will invite us to the table of the Lord, the table of the feast of heaven and earth that lasts forever. And when we come forward to say amen to his invitation, we are already participating in heaven on earth. The feast of Isaiah, the feast that is Jesus himself. Brothers and sisters, let us together profess our faith. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, 
God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. As we have been blessed by God's holy word, let us confidently offer to the Lord our prayers this day.